0: Welcome back to roll for enterprise the podcast described as the squishy heart of the center of enterprise IT. This week it's Lilac and me, and we thought we would talk about remote work, remote events, remote stuff, Uh, because, well, I've been reminded about it because I've been on the road this week, excitingly, Um, for those, I believe I've spoken about it on the podcast before, but I've been fully remote since 2006, as in I've not had not only an office that I went into on a daily basis, uh, but even a boss in the same time zone as me for the bulk of the last mumble to years. Uh, So the pandemic was not new to me in the sense of working from home. I was one of the lucky privileged people that had a home office pretty much ready to go, although I've been kitting it out more uh, over time. What did change was I didn't get to travel and see people in person, uh, which was how I balanced it. It was always, you know, I'd be working from home, and then I'd go on the road and meet people in person. And so you get to water those relationships and so that they would be built up. The uh, three, four, five days that you spend together in the conference room will power the next month and a half, couple of months, when you don't see each other, uh, and then you see each other again. And your situation was broadly similar, I think, as well. Yeah,
1: it was interesting. It depended on the time and in space in my career, but um, I hadn't been at headquarters for a real, real long time, um, and so and sometimes when you're in a satellite office, there's a lot more working from home. And then I took a role where I was, especially if you're not in sales. That's right, and and I took a role where I was explicitly not. Um, working for a local company, and there was nobody around. And I worked from home when my baby was young, um, 24 by seven and traveled like twice a year, which uh, wasn't great in terms of like relationship building, but we got there. Um, and then I actually intentionally moved back to a headquarters type location. Um, because I i don't, I don't know how far. I don't know how far you get in an organization eventually. Um, mm-hmm. When when you don't actually lay eyes on the the senior leadership, right? There's a moment where that actually becomes a thing, but the funny thing about the pandemic is that all of our senior leadership is completely dispersed again. And so (laughs) I'm not sure that that's actually, it sort of solved for something that is no longer a thing, Um, but I do enjoy the delightful office coffee now. So that's something.
0: Oh goodness. Yeah, no, Mm. not so much. I have better coffee in my home office. (laughs) I do too. (laughs) Yeah. Uh but yeah, so I was on the road for, for an event, and so I got to remind myself of what people look like in three dimensions and learn mm-hmm. uh for myself how tall, short, etc. they are and talk about things that are not on the agenda, that's not not scheduled. Mm-hmm. Which is the other thing, it, you don't really have small talk. Mm-hmm. You you join the Zoom, you go through the agenda bullet point by bullet point, and then you say, Okay, bye. The only time you might have thirty seconds of small talk is if someone is late, and so the people right. who did show up on time do the sort of awkward small talk with the understanding that you can't get too into a conversation because it can be interrupted at any moment. So right. that that yeah. was delightful to to see people, customers, colleagues, partners.
1: It's I actually traveled this week as well and it was a very very quick turn trip but I, it's this is going to sound ridiculous but so one of my colleagues who I who I like very much like she and I you know were the only women in the room and so it, when we when we had breaks it was like oh I got to chit chat with you in the bathroom. Um, and I just kind of missed that. Like I missed the sort of like meta discussion of what was happening in the room that happens as you leave the room just for two minutes. And like, you know, it and it wasn't like, I can't even cite anything that was particularly impactful about that conversation. It wasn't like, oh, now we have a strategy, right? Like it it was just the fact that you could have that conversation that felt really refreshing.
0: Yes, exactly. Exactly. And, it, you know, I was backstage, uh, this was a, uh, the Paris event and, I was introducing the keynote speaker and then running a Q&A. So I was backstage with all the speakers and, you know, learned th- you learn things about people under stress, people in the trenches and foxholes and getting ready to go out on stage in front of hundreds of people. Oh, There's <laughs> yeah. all situations where you learn about people.
1: Yeah, no, it's absolutely true. I, and I, I actually, I wonder now that you say that, whether we have gotten... So I think initially the pandemic, we got a less airbrushed version of humans, right? Because the kids and the dogs and the life and nobody bothered to put on a button down shirt. And so all of a sudden you were seeing everybody without their uh, hair and makeup and, you know, formality to them. Right. And, and that was the initial feeling. I had to
0: cosplay as a grown-up all week. It it, It was really confusing. No trainers, no nothing. I
1: know. And then, so initially we were like, oh, we now have authenticity. Right. And then, but I think we we might've overshot on that. I think we might've overclocked on that because, because we don't have the like sideways chitty chat. We don't actually have the whole person. We just Mm. have the t-shirt.
0: Yeah. And I did realize slight sidebar, uh, but uh, going through international airports, apparently Mm. the uniform of the international traveler is now Hoka shoes.
1: Is that true? Is that true for men folk
0: or all Mm. all humans? Uh, It was, this is actually mostly men folk. The, Mm. because Hoka's, if, you have not been blessed by the sight of these things uh, they're violently colorful uh, they, they're oh. being stabbed in the eyeballs and huh. i'm sure they're extremely comfortable they they look like they're very comfortable but even by sneaker standards they, they're not a good looking shoe they're, they're kind of bulky and chunky and yeah it's not my thing it is it is a short form No, but
1: you're kind of a chucks kind of guy
0: I'm, I'm wearing VaporMax right now. They, they, these are incredibly comfortable VaporMax Fly Nets, the ones made all out of recycled stuff. They, they're just unbelievably comfortable. um But anyway, so the, the whole point of this is it, companies are all trying to negotiate how they manage this process uh, of going back to work, going back to meet people in person, etc. So one thing that's happening there's, uh we'll put the. Article in the show notes has an incredibly uh, clickbaity headline of Big Tech conferences are not coming back. And then you go into the actual article, and it turns out a whole bunch of them are, <laughs> because what they're doing is what we were doing in Paris, we're doing uh, hybrid events. Mm. So we had about 50 50 at one point in person uh, versus a remote on stream participants, and there were cameras and whatnot. And, and then, of course, all the recordings will, the stream. Video gets uh, put up on YouTube for people to look at offline as well, and so it will have a much longer life than that one keynote that you attended. And also during the Q and A, as I mentioned, I was running a Q and A with our CTO, so we had some prepared questions to to prime the pump, and we had microphones with runners in the room, and we also had questions streaming in from remote viewers over the the conference platform, and it worked really well. I tried to balance uh, the the questions in the room versus the remote questions. And this is, I think, the way forward. It's not that the conferences aren't coming back. It's that the hybrid model is going to be there so that if you're there in the room, you get the networking, you get the chit-chat, you get the serendipitous um, conversation in the hallway. You get the, okay, I have an hour break between the two sessions I care about, so I'm going to go to this random session, and it turns out to be amazing. Or, you know, maybe not, but uh, you never know. You take a flyer. Um But if you can't fly to Paris to spend the day doing this stuff, you can still watch the live stream of the keynote, and you can watch the one session that you cared about, and you can submit your question to Q&A, and you still get value out of the event. And I think that's for conferences, but also for remote work. That's that's the model to figure out how to enable this, so that the remote viewers aren't second-class citizens. It used to be pre-pandemic I did attend a few hybrid events and hybrid meant you got the the keynote live stream and that was your lot you certainly didn't get to ask questions you did not get to participate in any of the breakouts after the keynote uh if you were lucky there was a hashtag that you could hang out on that was basically it
1: but I think that the model I'd love to know from somebody who does like this sort of large-scale event planning like even bigger than the one that you attended in the past the model for a large show like a reinvent or a VMworld world or whatever was actually a profit model right the the content of that event was somewhat secondary to the profitability of it and you know you could see if you attended vm world for 15 years straight like i did which is a horrifying notion but like if you if you could see how the
0: oh the so you content, get to hang out in that uh, alumni lounge
1: i do i don't i don't, I don't, I don't sleep. <laughs> Um, the, I'm sure I've reset my password with them so many times in my username that I, I would never know, but like, you know, you've been there for like a thousand years. And what you see is that the actual content of the event vacillates over time to be corporate, shilling from them and partner behavior and actually let's do the cool things with the new vendors and it it sort of vacillates depending on the agenda of the organization but fundamentally you're paying like do you remember like we have to go get approval to spend fifteen hundred dollars on a ticket to the show and so then the notion of who's joining from their laptop you can't charge fifteen hundred dollars for a live stream
0: nobody's interested in that exactly right I did get comped a ticket. I, I hasten yeah. to add, I was comped a ticket to a paid remote conference. I did not feel it was at all worthwhile. It was worth something, but I think that conference was 2200 for remote attendance. It lot. was absolutely not worth that.
1: It's, it's, it's just difficult because you don't get all of those ancillary benefits of of the engagement with all the people, which in fact is, is part of what you're paying for, right? Is that you get to have totally. meetings with your with your partners or whatever. And, and That's so, why
0: Gartner events are reassuringly expensive, as right. the saying goes. Right, <laughs>
1: yeah. right. And because you get the time with the analyst and you actually, like, it, it's actually a, a, a thing. But then when you, I recall, right, being able to watch a replay of a session was always like it's limited time and you have to have a login and God help you. And so now if you're going to open all of them up to the YouTubes, right? Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, the entire financial model of the event is completely cattywampus, right? And then the question is, what are you actually trying to achieve? And I would imagine that there's like a million conversations happening right now by people who put on these corporate events, thinking what is actually the goal of this for this organization? Is it a profit motive? Is it a um, information dissemination. Are we just, just trying to evangelize? Leader. Like, what's yeah. actually happening, and what does success look like? Because I don't think success anymore is is just profitability of the event at the Venetian.
0: Yeah, I think, and and I'm not sure whether it's a profit event. Someone told me without any facts because you know Amazon doesn't disclose this, but someone told me that despite the it breaks in a lot of revenue and. It's, it's probably a net positive in terms of Amazon's bottom line, but the event itself is not actually a profit center, contrary to public belief.
1: Interesting. I'd, I'd be very I heard curious. Ago that Dear Amazon World people, was... write in. <laughs> yeah, I'd be very curious. I mean, I think if I were postulating, I would say that like the evangelistic benefits of these events probably far outweigh whatever profit you could actually turn from them, but I would right. be super shocked if they were a, a cost hit because. Just the pricing, like if if you've ever no, bought a booth at an event, right? Like, oh
0: God, yeah, I don't think it's a. It's, uh, it's an investment, but it's also not a profit center. It's kind of, yeah, it roughly breaks even.
1: Comes out and that roughly breaks even. Yeah, that, I mean that seems fair. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it's a real interesting dynamic, and so I wonder if, for example, I wonder if price points change over time, and yeah. um, how do we? Yeah, look because at that's all the that? thing.
0: It's it's a lot easier to put on a hundred percent free virtual event. If your investment is, the, you know, the streaming platform mm-hmm. and a virtual background and get everyone a haircut and right. versus if you, the hybrid events, you still have all the expense of having to set up an in-person event and get a mm-hmm. venue and catering and blah, blah, blah. At that point, the remote attendees are free. I'm doing air quotes here, right. but uh, they're also, yeah, very, very curious. And I'm sure it's going to be an ongoing thing and it's going to change. Over over time as we work it out as an industry.
1: We did a remote event in the fall and I I think there was a significant amount of um ring light purchasing.
0: Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah, I spoke on um, MongoDB World was virtual last year. It's back in person this year. Listen to the end for a discount code. Um but yeah, they shipped me a whole kit with ring light and microphone and whatnot. And we had uh we had an A V crew attending. They are attending remotely via Zoom. But they were saying, you know, you need to move the light back and uh, get another light in a different position and make sure my mic was all set up properly. It's a whole thing.
1: It's a whole thing. And how you sit sort of in the frame and how you, like, you can't emote crazy hand motions. And there's, like, all sorts of...
0: Very difficult for the Italian speakers. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean,
1: right. That's not their thing. Quiet, quiet hands, Italian speakers. Quiet hands.
0: (laughs) So, handcuffs then. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> so this is also a factor for remote to work uh, remote to work back to work conversations as we go back to events we're also going back to offices return to office dates uh, are now coming thick and faster already in the past for many of us mm. and that's also a change as you were just saying it goes back to you know what's the impact of my career to my career of staying remote uh, versus uh, showing my face in the office mm-hmm. and there's, uh, I'm going to use a rude word, but uh, in uh, Britain they're already called twats—the hmm. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday people who don't show up on Monday and Friday. They're <laughs> called twats. Yes, acronym. Amazing.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Brits have found a way to make working schedules into a rude thing.
0: And so that, that's a thing. Uh, and on the other, on the other hand, there's uh, this uh, thing that started to show up of a third peak in uh, productivity and. You know, use of business systems. Uh so if you haven't seen this the idea is there's a first peak in the morning people come in and hit their inbox and get to work and then in the afternoon they get back from uh, uh from lunch if they're in Italy or from eating their sad sandwich at their desk if they're Brits and there's a second peak in the afternoon and now there's a third peak that's showing up in the stats that's the after dinner late night emails where you do just just one more thing and I think this is also particularly prevalent for people in globally distributed teams, uh, for me, my American colleagues are still very much active and online after my dinner time. I occasionally even take meetings. Then I try not to make that a regular thing, but you know, sometimes that's the only way you can get on someone's schedule, but I definitely do check into Slack and email. Uh, and again, for me, this was not new, but apparently now there's enough of this going on. This shows up in usage stats uh, at company wide level.
1: Yeah. I, 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 For me, it isn't new either. And I, we certainly have global teams and I do take calls, you know, if if we need to have a conversation with China, we do it at 10 p.m. Eastern, right? That's just when you have do to. it. Um, but I I don't, I, I think what's interesting here is I the challenge of work-life balance in this dynamic. And I actually don't, Let let's just sort of stipulate that a lot of us are working many, many more than 40 hours a week. So that is, you yeah. know, sort of a straight up given. But as you're doing that, right, there's different, like sort of, almost circadian rhythms right i actually honestly before i took this job and ended up in a pandemic my predilection would have been to be awake and working at like 6 a.m before my child woke up spent an hour of peace with my coffee and my inbox and all of my people here are apparently nocturnal and um and so now I go to bed closer to midnight every night, right? And and have and wake up you know as late as I possibly can to get the child in pants and at school, and and so it's but there's a sort of respect for circadian rhythms and respect for responsiveness and how do you structure your world when sometimes there are urgent things that have to happen well beyond somebody's bedtime, um, and what does it mean to be flexible? And you know I find myself checking myself a lot when I say, well. Like I have a global team. I've got people in India. Can do, is it right for me to say you have to do a meeting at 6 p.m. because there's no alternative? Right. Is that rude? Is that right? What kind of flexibility yeah. do I want to make sure they have on the other side? Can they sleep until 10? I actually don't care, um, but I think that there is value to explicit expectation setting about response times yeah. around a 24 by 7 clock.
0: And systems do exist and are starting to emerge to facilitate this. Like Google calendars now lets you flag your working hours. And this would re- require everyone to actually look in the Google mm-hmm. calendar and see when there are conflicts and whatnot. But, you know, for people who do look, I now flag, look, I'm available until my 7.30. And then after that, I'm not. But that way they do know that from 6 until 7.30 is actually fair game. Right. And so right. it extends that, that overlap a little bit more. And I... Uh, I've, I'll say right now, I claw back that hour and a half because in the morning when all of my American colleagues are all asleep, I will uh, just run an errand or whatever without worrying about it too much. Uh, sure. Sure.
1: And I think anybody who's sort of a knowledge worker... Uh, is sort of we, we, we live our full lives, right? You go to the doctor, you run an errand, you don't worry about it um, most of the time. And I think that's probably- Also because
0: I'm, I'm, while well, I'm in the waiting room at the doctor because somebody stuck something in an ear or whatever, I, I have my iPads and I, I'm right. working on the revisions to a doc. Yeah.
1: <laughs> right. It just, we don't, I always feel it like if, if we started- if I started managing my team in this way, I would come out really, really behind. And so I'd much, much rather just let it ride, right? Because I'm probably getting more time than I'm than I deserve. But at the same time, I, I want to make sure that we're fair and I wanna make sure that expectations are set and you don't the the challenge for me honestly, and this is something that I've grappled with a long time, is I can set a delayed email. But when you have yeah. a global team, there's actually no what time delay to set it to? a delayed email. Yeah. Exactly. Like it? If I email so this, you on Sunday this is Sunday like night, the
0: daylight savings thing. Should we just all agree to use Zulu time? That,
1: <laughs> right, easy. right. Like, so if I, you know, I have I work on Sunday nights. Everybody seems to work on Sunday nights. Fine. So I work on Sunday nights, and and if I email on Sunday night, that's offensive to an American, but delightful for somebody in India, right? Like it, it mm-hmm. it's morning there, and so I don't delay Israel. emails anymore yeah. because I just find it. I would if it was like a big all hands email or something, but like. A specific email. I'm just going to reply and assume that nobody feels any urgency. But I feel like maybe we need to be more explicit with that and consistently explicit. This is not for now. I'm replying now because my life is a complicated mess of short people who need different kinds of foodstuffs. And here's when I had the 15 minutes
0: reply whenever. So my again. uh, this may not work for everyone, and maybe we need to be more explicit about it. Uh, but my take is email is async, get to it when you get to it. Yes. And Slack, for instance, I look at the green bubble. If the bubble is green, I assume you're there and I ping you. If it's not, and it's just because I had a thought and I want to get it down before it disappears yeah. into the ether, I might pre- preface the the message with, hey, this is not for now when you get a moment. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah.
1: But the power dynamics impact that, right? Like I, I right. recognize that I'm. I, it's I good have to model title.
0: correct behavior right. and say, "I, I am not available because I'm taking care of small people," or you know, that, right. that sort of thing.
1: And I would, I would love to, I would love for people to be able to work the hours that that they prefer for their lives and for their yep. physical well being and all of those things, right? And so, um, I, I don't know, I it's a really interesting thing. And I, and the piece that's also difficult for me is honestly, like you won't find me offline for very long in my life. Like I, my inbox is typically managed. I even just took this trip this week and now I have, you know, 40 unread messages and I might be having heart palpitations. This isn't how I operate. And, um, and so because you rarely will find me offline, I worry that I'm modeling bad behavior for other people, but this is actually my, my anxiety rises when I am offline. And so it's better for me to actually just triage. Right. And And so how do we do this in a way that is supportive of other people's best practices? And I just think that's an ongoing challenge for everyone.
0: Yeah, because we don't have norms that have developed over years. We've had two years and they've been two very weird years. Uh, We're not just working remotely, we're working remotely during a crazy pandemic when a lot of the safety valves and mechanisms that remote workers had, like frequent travel to headquarters, I have not been available to us. And so I do think it's been a learning experience. It's been a forcing function for a lot of companies that refuse to even consider remote work. And so it's been positive in that sense. And I hope like with hybrid events that we get to keep the goods even as we discard the bad. Uh, Certain types of things do benefit from being in the office. Certain types of jobs do benefit from the team being co-located. And in certain other cases, it's not actually necessary. It's purely a power dynamic. I want to see the people; otherwise, the work isn't being done. Sort of attitude, and th- that's unhealthy and <laughs> needs to be got rid of.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think we'd. I'd like to apply yeah. some intentionality to what we take and what we don't take here,
0: and continue to build it into systems to make it easy for people to declare that without having yeah. to type into the email every time. Look, okay, it's okay. I'm available.
1: Right or the reverse, right? I think that the system that allows you to sort of—I think of it a little bit analogous to pronouns. When you just put your pronouns in there, now we don't have to ask, and now we don't have to declare. And so, if there's a way to sort of—I block my calendar. By the way, that window of dinner and bedtime is blocked on my calendar, and it is—you
0: know—not available. Yeah, that is not available. That's how I do it. What I wish actually is, I wish that calendars would let you not just view. I have about I have half a dozen calendars, maybe seven okay. calendars in different colors. Yeah. And some are shared w- with some people and some are shared with other people. And so I can see my availability.
1: Right.
0: But I wish there were a way that I could share the availability information with other calendars so that people, I wouldn't have to also create a block in my work calendar when I have a personal appointment, That it would just automatically say, "Ah, oh, he's not available then because he's doing something.
1: I think that is some advanced calendaring right there that you're looking at. Oh, for.
0: yeah. And someone's probably going to tell me that I can do that with IFTTT uh, or one of those things, Zapio. Uh, I'm I sure. have tried. Sure.
1: Yes, that problem has been solved, but not ubiquitously.
0: Exactly. And once again, it needs to be built in or it's too much of a faff. Right. There's a ton of things that I've built once. And it worked briefly and then when it broke, I realized it was too much hassle to to rebuild or fix and so I resorted to doing it the old-fashioned way.
1: Right. 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 And that is why, I don't know, all the home appliances are now... Let's just use our own... Let's just do hand-washing dishes. We're done. All this automation is
0: crazy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Although dishwashers are more ecologically sound, it turns out.
1: Really? Interesting.
0: Yeah, apparently. Hmm. Live and learn. Yeah. Anyway... There is some other news this week beyond remote events, which, uh, as I say, I'm sure will continue to be a topic for a very long time. Uh, Microsoft Azure, as usual, has followed AWS's lead just uh, quite a bit later, and is also rolling out ARM servers with chips from Ampere. So this is the equivalent of Amazon's Graviton uh, chips, and so the ARM architecture continues to stride across the world, striking terror into Intel CEOs everywhere.
1: Mm. I don't know. I kind of appreciate Azure's commitment to being a sort of thoughtful, fast follower.
0: Yeah, no, I, I joke, but, uh, I think Azure is, it's interesting because it's much more intentional in its product strategy than Amazon is. Amazon has just throw all the products against the wall. Something will be useful to somebody. Uh, somebody smarter than me, probably Corey Quinn said Amazon's product strategy is yes.
1: Right. Yes, but where's the press release? Yeah.
0: Right. Uh, And Azure is a lot more intentional. They have a lot more of a joined up strategy and thought process. And they do occasionally have the ability to say no to things or not yet. Or we need to investigate that and decide whether it's worthwhile. And it's uh, refreshing to see.
1: It is. I like it. it. I think they, you know, in a sense, what they're doing is they're saying we have the market power to come in later and get the traction that we need while letting somebody else invest in the innovation.
0: And knowing that their customers, their core customers are not bleeding edge, except maybe with little experimental projects, but they like their tech to be battle-tested and hardened.
1: exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's a real understanding of their market. I'm I'm impressed.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then Google, uh, just space aliens. yeah.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Everything, exactly. It's just like, all the all the weirdness that we could possibly slam together and pretend that it's consumer.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, for some reason, why? Uh, uh, but speaking of enterprise uh, sales environment, there was also a funny story that you will appreciate. Uh, IBM mainframe business has apparently mm-hmm. been doing better than we all thought. Uh, but the reason it's been doing better is bad uh, because <laughs> IBM salespeople were misclassifying uh, mainframe sales as cloud and whatever. So IBM's cloud was doing even worse than we all knew it was, but the mainframes have been doing better.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, I think I've been saying this for 15 years. Cloud is just mainframe all over again, so it was just a matter of time before the accounting caught up, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Metered usage of a large system, which you purchase on essentially a subscription basis. Who cares where the box really sits, Dominic?
0: Yeah, and with AWS outposts and things like that, uh, even the on-prem aspect right. to started coming back yeah
1: right that's right that's right so this whole private cloud was really just a shim it's great you just recast the whole thing
0: and you're now reminding me that back in the day when i used to travel i actually sent you a picture from a trade show in i think it was barcelona mm-hmm. of a booth that was offering mainframes and as400s in the cloud
1: it was a good time back then. I mean, but people still do it, right? The, the, the thing is just the the pricing model of mainframe actually was always cloud, right? Yep, it's just the absolutely. physicality of it that that makes us raise an eyebrow. But then once you've thrown it in a hosted environment, the line is real fine, right? Yep. You could have a vigorous religious debate about this. And I could imagine that somewhere at IBM they did, and they landed on the side of, you know, pork is Let's fine. We're going to just eat that. It's going to be okay, right? And we're going to reclass it. And 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 that's okay. I, I do think the challenge with this is, I mean, I'm sure they're going to get in all kinds of trouble. I don't know that there will be any ultimate ramifications. But um, I think the challenge is, is that we really are threading a needle of definitions that, as we have known for decades, are real squishy.
0: Yeah. And, you know, ultimately the question is, does it do the job it was bought to do? <laughs> and that's, uh, I mean, who can say? True. <laughs> <laughs> uh, too soon to say. Too um, soon
1: to say. Mainframes are real new.
0: No, well, yeah. well, let's give
1: it another decade.
0: Wasn't it Mao who said it was, uh, about the French Revolution? Too soon to say.
1: Too soon to say. Hard to now. call this ball.
0: Yeah. And on that uh, communistical note, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to uh, deliver on my promise and give you a discount code for MongoDB World, seventh to the ninth of June in New York City. With my code Wellington 25 you can get 25% off. And early bird pricing just reopened. So it's uh, it's a good moment to buy. Uh, and if you don't have the ability to come to New York City in June, which uh, is a, a lovely thing to do if you have the opportunity. But if you can't, it will also be remote. It's fully hybrid. And if you're remote, it's free. So there you go. Putting our Amazing. money where a am
1: Yeah. That's I, wonderful. I don't have a recommendation at all, actually. Um, but uh, I, I did have a learning that a 24-hour business trip is just not a thing.
0: I, I'm sure I used to do them. I seem I to know. recall.
1: I did I, 24 hours to Munich once. That wasn't good.
0: Starting from Boston?
1: Yes. Terrible. Whoa. Okay. I, I my, just spent one night in, in one night in Munich It was and one night on an airplane. And it was possibly the most horrific travel experience of my life.
0: Yeah. I can't beat that. It's so a be- uh, I did spend about 36 hours in Dubai uh, once. Yeah, once sent you
1: to Riyadh for a few days too. That was good.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that was too long. <laughs> <laughs> too long.
1: I'm sorry. Um, this has been delightful, though.
0: Indeed. Well, on that note, do follow the show on Twitter at Roll Four Enterprise with the number four, or on our LinkedIn page. The theme music is by my friend Renato Podesta. Please send us suggestions for topics and or guests that you would like to hear from on future episodes, and we will talk to you then.
1: Hi.